welcome you and thank you so much for being here and sharing your Sunday morning with us. My name is Jim. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we are in a series entitled Guardrails. And the purpose of this series is, is to just sort of implement some spiritual and practical guidelines or, or actually protective devices to keep us from wandering off course and crashing into areas of sin that are very destructive in our lives. In other words, much like a guardrail on a highway or a bridge or a curve protects us from a disastrous crash with our vehicles, we need spiritual guardrails to protect us from tragically wrecking our lives by straying off into very destructive areas of sin. Nobody plans to wreck their life any more than they plan to wreck their car, and yet it still happens all the time. Two weeks ago, we introduced this series by working to answer the question, why do we need guardrails? And we all know what guardrails are. Guardrails are designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous areas. Another observation we made about guardrails, which is particularly important for the series, is uh, that guardrails are not placed in the danger zone. Guardrails are always placed inside the safety zone. And nobody questions that, right? Nobody questions the logic of placing the guardrail well inside the safe zone, uh, especially on highways, bridges, and curves. We also said that guardrails are designed to minimize the damage. Like if I lose control of my car on the highway and hit a guardrail, it'll do some damage, but I will most likely walk away from that accident. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because highways, bridges, and curves aren't the only place we need guardrails. Our biggest regrets could have been avoided if we had established some guardrails early on, which means future regrets can be avoided if we're willing to establish some guardrails now. And when we're talking about guardrails in, in this context, we're talking about a personal rule, a personal law. It's something that I decide for me in light of my past experiences, in light of my present circumstances, and in light of my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? Personal guardrails are standards of behavior that become matters of conscience. In other words, I decide where I'm going to build guardrails in my finances. I decide where I'm going to build guardrails in my morals. I decide where I'm going to build guardrails in my relationships and in my marriage. I decide for me where those hard boundaries are so that they protect me from straying off course and wrecking my life. And when I begin to drift toward or even bump into those guardrails, it alerts my conscience to the point where I back off and correct course, get back on course, which is the whole point of a guardrail. The point of a guardrail is to alert your conscience before you get into the danger zone. The point of the guardrail is just to really make us uneasy inside and to make us uneasy early before any real damage is done. So that's what a guardrail is. It's a personal standard of behavior that we establish for ourselves to keep us on the road and keep us out of the danger zone. But what makes this so difficult, especially in our culture, is that our culture does not encourage guardrails. Our culture doesn't even like guardrails. 
our culture is perfectly content with guidelines, with suggestions, painted lines, so to speak. Um, and it's especially true with regard to today's topic, sexual guardrails. Today I want to talk about guarding your marriage if you're married, and if you're single, guarding yourself for marriage. I want to talk about how to set up standards of behavior that will alert your conscience when to, to protect um, what is your most important human relationship. Now, if you were God, and you were going to inspire someone to write on this topic, what would you inspire them to say? Go for it. Have a good time. Use protection. No. If if you were God and you were, and you you know you understood all the pitfalls and understood all that was at stake here, if you were God and you were going to give the world a message as it relates to sexuality, what would you tell them? Well, two thousand years ago, God inspired a man named Paul to write to the church in Corinth, and this is what he said: First Corinthians six eighteen, flee from sexual immorality. Our loving God tells us to flee from sexual immorality. Now, before you react and think, oh, that's just so antiquated, this is exactly what every wife wants her husband to do, right? This is what every husband wants his wife to do. This is what every fiancé wants their fiancé to do. This is what everyone who cares about and loves someone wants them to do. There are some things that we want the people we love to flee from, right? But we live in a culture in which this is very difficult. Our loving Heavenly Father tells us to flee from sexual immorality, yet we are complicit with culture in setting ourselves up to flirt with sexual immorality. Nowhere else does culture do a better job at baiting us right to the very edge and then shaming us when we fall off into the ditch. And the biggest problem, the hypocrisy in all this, and I just want to confess all of our sins together, the biggest problem with our with the area of our sexuality is that we entertain ourselves with media, movies, music, all of which glorify sex outside of marriage and glorify marital affairs. And by entertaining ourselves this way, we are complicit with culture in not only culture baiting us, but baiting ourselves right to the very edge, right? And then what happens when someone, you know, um, when one of our friends has an affair? We're shocked, right? We're, we're disgusted. We're like, we're like, I can't believe you did that. Or I can't believe your husband did that to you. Or I can't believe your wife cheated on you. I mean, do you see the hypocrisy? I mean, we entertain ourselves with it, and yet we're shocked when someone actually does it. And so the Apostle Paul 
under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, look, I'm not a prude. I'm not against sex. There are just some things you've got to flee from. I mean, Christians believe God created sex, right? Um, And I'm not sure exactly how that went, right? You know, like God's in heaven. He's like, oh, man, I got a great idea. And the angels are like, what? He's like, ah, you wouldn't understand, but you're really going to be jealous. Watch this, right? (laughs) And so Christians aren't against sex. We actually believe God created it, not only for procreation, but for our enjoyment. God gave us this extraordinary gift. And, but with that gift, he gave us some very important guardrails. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Here God places sexual sin in a category all by itself. And what he's, what he's telling us is that sexual sin, unlike any other sin, is uniquely damaging. See, it's possible to recover financially, right? It's possible to recover when you wreck your life academically. It's possible to recover even professionally, right? But when it comes to sexual sin, that's not the case. Forgiven? Absolutely. Escape the consequences? Fully escape the consequences? Never. Sexual sins can span generations. It can undermine future intimacy. It impacts future relationships. And sexual sin has the potential to make you a liar and a secret keeper for life, unlike anything else. Like, you'll admit your past bankruptcy, right? You'll admit the time that you got that DWI in the past. But when it comes to sexual sin, that's a shame that you carry with you, and it can stay with you for life. It's not that sexual sin is unforgivable, but the consequences of sexual sin is unlike any other sin. And that's why God says to flee from it. And and just in case there's any confusion on the issue, the biblical definition of sexual morality is this. Sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. That includes sex before marriage. That includes sex with someone other than your husband or wife. And that includes homosexuality. I know that's not very popular these days, but I didn't, you know, it's not my opinion. That's just straight from God's word. And if you're wondering what else that includes, Jesus said, If you even look at a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. So sexual immorality is any sexual activity outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. God intended sex to be his wedding gift to you and your wife or you and your husband. The gift of sex is an exclusive one-of-a-kind, covenant relationship. And when you take that gift, 
that was intended for another person and you divvy it up between a whole bunch of other people, you not only hurt the person it was intended for, you hurt yourself. When you take what was exclusively intended and promised and intended to be promised to one other person, you hurt the person you take it from. When you give something that was intended for you to give to just one other person, you not only hurt yourself, but you hurt the one that you, you intend to give it to. And this, that's why this is such a big deal, because the consequences and shame associated with sexual sin is different from anything else. And God loves you too much to keep his mouth shut on this issue. And then he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now, here the conversation shifts from consequence to identity, right? Paul, writing under the inspiration of, of God, says, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? And we're like, so what? What's a temple? You know, the only time most of us have been in a temple is when we're on a, a tourist attraction. Um, and temples are supposed to be sacred, but in our culture, nothing's sacred, right? To which God would say, ah, but you are. You're sacred. God would say that you are more sacred than the most sacred building or location on the planet because the Holy Spirit himself lives in you. You are a sacred image bearer and dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. See, not only are you made in the image of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells within you. And you know why that's a big deal? Because the value of a container is determined by what it contains. This year, my wife and I celebrated our 30th anniversary, but a few years ago, her wedding, wedding ring broke to the point where she couldn't even wear it anymore. And I knew our 30th anniversary was coming up, and so I started saving money um, to get her a new ring. Um, and then right before we took our uh, little anniversary vacation, um, I ordered the ring. It came in. Um, for all you young single guys, never go to a retail store. The online jewelers are awesome. You can get twice the ring for half the price. Seriously, it's awesome. But the ring came in one day right before we left our trip, and it was in this little box, and I guarded this little box with my life. I mean, we traveled and, and went somewhere to, to celebrate our anniversary, and I had this box on me 24-7. I was checking it every five minutes. I did not want to lose this thing right before I gave it to her. I was terrified of losing it, and I was protecting with my life. And then the night came of our anniversary, we went to dinner, and I actually gave it to her. But after that, the box didn't mean anything to her, right? This is actually not the box. I actually lost or threw away the other box because it wasn't valuable to me anymore, right? <laughs> this is just an illustrative box. So anyway, you get the point. Um, but I don't think we place enough value on ourselves because maybe we think we're like this. When in reality... Holy Spirit himself lives in us. 
when we engage in sexual sin in our bodies, it's not just a matter of not respecting yourself. It's a matter of failing to acknowledge the intrinsic value you have because of who lives inside you. But our value doesn't even end there. He goes on and he says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. See, not only is the value of a container determined by what it contains, value is also determined by ownership. Um, this is Ryan's guitar, and it's a, what is it, a Taylor? Taylor, Taylor Tay, Tay 24, he was very uh, emphatic, making sure we knew that, right? Is it, is <laughs> but it's a nice guitar, right? It's the nicest car, guitar you've ever owned, right? Selena got that for you a couple years ago. It's your 30th birthday, awesome. <laughs> um, but um, how much do you think, if we were to take his guitar and try to auction it off, how much do you think we'd get for it? How much was it worth when it was new? 5200 okay. Um, how much do you think we could get for it now? 2500 maybe? Three <laughs> Anybody have an idea what the most expensive guitar was auctioned off for? Just under a million. $959,000. Why would anybody spend that much money for a guitar? It was a used guitar at that. Why would anybody... Yeah, it's because of who owned it. It was Eric Clapton's guitar. Yeah. And, you know, we'd never get that much for his, but I love you, man, but you're not Eric Clapton, right? <laughs> what Paul is saying here is you have incredible value because of who owns you. You're not your own because you were bought with a price. See, not only is, is, is the value of a container determined by what it contains, the value of a thing is determined by the price it will bring. We could put a million-dollar price tag on that guitar and never get it. But do you realize the price that you bought or that you brought? God sent his only son to die for you. That's how valuable you are to God. That's the price you brought. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This is the New Testament ethic, the New Testament sexual ethic. Honor God with your body. It's not just a matter of consequence, it's a matter of identity. And it's not just a matter of avoiding sexual immorality. God tells us to what? Flee from it. And fleeing sexual immorality requires guardrails. 
So with a little bit of time that we have left, I want to give you a few suggestions that will help you steer clear of those danger areas. The first one is this. Establish guardrails with your spouse, fiance, or someone to whom you can submit. If you're married, if you're engaged, or if you're in a serious um, committed relationship, you need to talk to them about establishing some hard boundaries, right? In other words, the two of you need to talk about what each of you are comfortable with as it relates to each other's relationship with other people, right? You need to decide together what is appropriate behavior in the workplace. You need to decide together what is appropriate behavior and the hard boundaries when it comes to your friends. A couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, the Billy Graham rule, which was a rule that Billy Graham stated or initiated way back in the 60s, uh, where he said he would never travel alone. He would never uh, be with a woman by himself, drive in a car with a woman by himself, uh, eat dinner with a woman by himself, unless it was his wife or a family member, right? And he caught a lot of... um, criticism for that, um, but I know a lot of people who've, who've adopted those same guardrails. I adopted those guardrails, um, and you need to talk to that, talk about that with your spouse your, your, or your um, fiancé or, or whoever you're dating seriously. You need to, you need to talk about that. Um, if you're in a dating relationship, you need to talk about the hard boundaries that'll keep you from opening up God's wedding gift early. The two of you, right? Um, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that when Vicky and I were dating, we had a guardrail of that we we wouldn't kiss until our wedding day, and we don't tell everyone to do that because, you know, it's it was it was our boundary, it was our guardrail, it was it wasn't something that we push on everybody else, but it was what we knew we had to do because prior to us getting saved in our early twenties, we were both very promiscuous. And we knew that if we started kissing, we could kiss the rest goodbye, right? No pun intended. Um, but, <laughs> but, but so, <laughs> so that was our guardrail, right? Um, but when we, one of the things that Vicky and I do is we do premarital counseling with a lot of people who are getting married, and um, we always, always, always make part of that, um, telling them to that they need to abstain from sex until they get married. Um, rarely, I think it ha- might have happened once or twice, we've had couples who were already doing it when they came to us. Um, but the couples who already were, uh, you know, we encourage them to repent of that and from this point forward until they get married, abstain from sex. And, uh, and they always do, and it's always rewarding. And um, here's a list of some of the rewards um, that come from page 99 of the book that we use as the curriculum. It's, uh, the book is um, Preparing for Marriage by Dennis Rainey. But there's a whole list of things. I just want to read a few of them to you. Um, benefits of um, waiting until you're married to have sex. Uh, first of all, you prevent unwanted pregnancy. That's a good one, right? Uh, you increase the anticipation and enjoyment of your wedding night. That's awesome. You provide yourself with an example to give your children. Um, But here's a couple that are probably the most important. You develop the godly qualities of patience and self-control. 
right? If you can say no to your body in a dating relationship, you're building something that you can't get any other way, right? And then here's probably the most important one. You build the trust that is necessary for true intimacy and lifelong commitment. If you're in a dating relationship and you can't control yourself physically until you get married, what's going to happen after you're married and you or your spouse goes on a business trip? Do you think there's going to be a whole lot of trust? I mean, if you've abstained, if you've proven that you can control your flesh during your dating, and then after you're married, you go on a business trip, your spouse is not going to worry about it, right? Because you've already proven you can control yourself, right? And so there's going to be so much more trust built if you can do that. Um, and so it's so important. If you're single, you need to have someone that you can submit to to keep you accountable. Gentlemen and young guys especially, pornography will do more to damage your ability to have have healthy, intimate relationships in the future. To have a healthy, intimate relationship in the future. Studies have proven that exposure to pornography actually changes the neurological pathways in your brain that drastically affect your ability to have a healthy, intimate relationship. And you need to set up guardrails against pornography with an accountability partner that you can trust. Okay, next one. Be honest about your weaknesses and problematic people. We all know what weaknesses are in this area, and you need to be honest about them with your spouse, with your fiancé, or with someone that you can, to whom you can submit. But we also need to be honest about problematic people in our lives. And you might ask, well, who are problematic people? Problematic people are people that you have an attraction toward. Problematic person is someone who has an attraction toward you. A problematic person is a member of the opposite sex that your job requires you to spend a lot of time with. If you're single and looking to date, then problematic people really don't exist for you. But if you're married, engaged, or in a committed relationship, you need to be honest about the problematic people in your life with your spouse, with your fiancé, or with a significant other, and set up some guardrails to direct and protect you. You should never keep secrets in important relationships, especially when it comes to your weaknesses and the potentially problematic people in your life. And when you find yourself wanting to keep something a secret, that should light up your conscience even if you, you find yourself hesitating about being honest about another person, that should set off red flags in your heart and in your mind. You haven't done anything wrong. You haven't done anything bad. There's minimal damage in bumping up against the guardrail, but you've got to pay attention to that. You've got to be honest with yourself, and you've got to be honest with your spouse, your fiancé, your significant other. All right, next one. Number th uh, avoid scenarios that set up the potential for intimacy with problematic people. Most of you already know this, but affairs never start 
with physical intimacy, right? Never start there. It always leads there, but it always starts with emotional intimacy, getting to know someone on an emotional level. And you know the environments that begin to create a level of intimacy um, with other people, and you've got to avoid those environments that set up the potential for intimacy with another person who's not your spouse or fiance or significant other. Um, if, if members of the opposite sex in your workplace are having a problem in their marriage, you have no business talking to them about that, right? I mean, I've, I've seen it so many times where, where like a guy works with this girl, she comes to work, she's visibly upset, he asks her what's wrong, she starts dumping about you know, how bad her marriage is and how bad her husband treats her, and he shows her compassion and he listens to her, and all of a sudden, she's instantly attracted to that because she's not getting that at home. And she's like, oh, you're so sweet. And, and he's instantly attracted to her response to his, his being a, a listening ear or his compassion towards her. And then all of a sudden, there's some emotional intimacy going on. You've got to avoid any scenario that would create emotional intimacy between you or another person. You have no business talking to someone else. You are not a counselor. If they're having marriage troubles, send them to a counselor. You're not their counselor, okay? Don't do it. Avoid it. And then finally, confess any attraction for problematic people with someone you trust. Um, I have a friend who several years ago was uh, attracted to a woman that wasn't his wife. Um, and he recognized immediately that that was a, a problem, and he needed to address it. And he came to me, and he confessed it and asked for prayer. And by doing so, he was able to not head down that road and, and destroy his marriage. But sin has the most power over you in the dark, right? Sin has the most power to control you, to overtake you, and destroy your life if you keep it hidden in the dark. But when you bring it out into the light, it loses its power over you. It has no more power over you. You have the ability to squash it when you bring it out into the light. Okay, now if all of this seems so extreme to you, it's because, some of you might think some of these are extreme, but it's because dangerous environments call for extreme measures. And you might say, well, Jim, is it really that dangerous? Let me ask a question to, first of all, the married and engaged people. What in our culture supports you and equips you to remain faithful? Is it advertising? <laughs> no. Is it the media? No. Is it movies? No, not unless it's a Christian movie or something like that. Um, is it television? No, it's not television. Is it, is it a book? No, unless it's you know a book on marriage. Um, where in culture do you feel the wind in your sails to, to support you on keeping your eyes on the road and right between the guardrails? Perhaps the only place 
you get that kind of support and equipping is at the church, here at the church. Which means outside of church, it's a dangerous world out there. It's a dangerous environment, and dangerous environments call for extreme measures. Single people, same question. What in our culture supports and equips you to protect your sexual purity for the one person that God intended you to share that with? Where in our culture do you find people saying, I want to breathe life into you. I want to speak truth to you to help you protect your sexuality for your future marriage. Who's doing that for you outside of the church? Which means outside of the church, it's a dangerous world out there. And dangerous environments call for extreme measures. And look, do you, do you think that you're going to look back five years from now and have regrets over establishing guardrails? No way. There's no way you're going to have any regret about, about establishing guardrails around your fidelity. If you think, if you establish guardrails now, five years from now, you're going to look back and think it was one of the best decisions you ever made. So, the choice is yours. Flee or flirt. Flee honors God. Flee honors you and the intrinsic value you have. Flee honors your kids. Flee honors your future kids. And flee honors others. But flee also requires guardrails. And so I encourage you to set up some guardrails that will ding your conscience while you're still in the safety zone. You won't be applauded now if you do that, but you will be applauded later. Because guardrails, the guardrails you establish now will become a part of your story in the future. And you'll be applauded by the people who really matter to you. And you'll be applauded by your Heavenly Father. And setting up guardrails now will set you up to say what Steve Perry of the band Journey sang so well. I'm forever yours. There you go. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for just how much you love us and care for us and want the best for us. God, you, you don't candy coat your word. You don't candy coat the instruction you give us. You tell us bluntly, flee sexual immorality. It causes so much pain. It causes so much harm. In the context of that, of that which you created it, for uh, uh, in the marriage context between a man and a woman, it is awesome. It's an amazing gift. But outside of that context that you created it for, it can be incredibly damaging. 
So Lord, I pray that you would help us. We live in a horribly promiscuous culture. We live in a culture that baits us right to the very edge, constantly. We're constantly bombarded with temptation and being baited right to the edge of disaster. We've even found ourselves complicit with culture by entertaining ourselves with culture. So God, I pray that you would help us to establish some guardrails in this area of our life. I pray that you would help us to set up some hard boundaries that when we bump up against them, it alerts our conscience, it it dings our conscience, it, it causes minimal damage, but at least we haven't gone outside and baited them. Help us, God, to put protective devices around our most important human relationships. Help us to lead our children and our families in this area as well. If you're here this morning and you realize God's convicted your heart that you've got to set up some guardrails in this area, you've recognized that this is a serious need for you. This is a moment of surrender between you and God only with every head bowed, every eye closed. Just raise your hand and say, that's me, God. See those hands going up everywhere. God, I thank you so much. This moment of surrender is, is simply a moment, God. It's the moment that you have access to our hearts. It's the time really the only thing we can do to surrender our hearts to you. It's the only thing we really have the power to do to change. So for these that have surrendered to you, God, I pray that you would transform them now. I pray that you would do what only you can do and make adjustments in their heart, that you would change their mind about certain things, that you would help them to establish guardrails in this area of their life in ways that they've never done before and enable them God to to move forward in their life without any warning God I thank you so much and I give you all the praise and all the glory 